If you want to reimagine or imagine anew, you can't go through life angry and negative and assuming people have the worst intentions. The rising tide floats all boats, okay? Pay it forward. And above all, get into that upper right-hand corner where you are unique and valuable. And then you truly will imagine and reimagine anew. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the Inspired Execution Podcast. Each episode shares the experience and learnings of a world-class leader on their journey to success. The guests on this podcast are bold, brilliant, and not afraid to change. As you navigate your own path, we hope you feel inspired by their stories, lessons learned, and the vision of the future. Today, we're chatting with Guy Kawasaki, Chief Evangelist at Canva and a venture capitalist whose investments are known for turning everything into gold. From TED Talks to TechCrunch, his message of practical and tactical approaches to entrepreneurship have made its way in 15 books, many of them New York Times bestsellers. His latest investment is in himself. His podcast, Remarkable People, lands him on the top 100 list on Apple's podcast charts. Thank you so much for being here. Guy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You were born and raised in Hawaii and then attended Stanford where you studied psychology. Has psychology played a big role in your journey? If I wanted to reinvent history and to indicate how smart I was and how I planned all this and you know, how I was executing on my life goals, I would say yes. But the truth is much closer to the fact that at the time that I was at Stanford, psychology was one of the easiest majors. <laughs> and so that's why I picked it. Now, yeah, you could say, oh, guy, you've turned into this marketer and sales and evangelism. So obviously you're using psychology and you are so smart. Even as an undergrad, you planned that out. That would be total bullshit. Now, the principles of psychology, particularly social psychology that I learned, have been very useful. These are beautiful accidental steps we take and they actually help us become who we are along the way. None of us plotted the course that we walked. All we could do was accept the path and actually make the best of it. Basically, I have come to the conclusion that it's better to be lucky than smart, yes. <laughs> the good news is you're both. So you talked about how your work for a jewelry manufacturer taught you how to sell. And everyone should learn how to sell. What's your top sales tip for somebody who's not in sales? First of all, I would debate that anyone is quote-unquote not in sales. Now... Many people may define sales as literally you are a salesperson with a quota and you show your samples or you make your phone calls. But I will tell you that I think every day in life you are selling. When you convince your parents to give you a bigger allowance or when you convince your kids to pick up the clothes on the floor in their bathroom, I look at all of that as sales. So basically, if your lips are moving, you probably are selling and so what I learned in the jewelry business, which is sales on steroids, because you're selling things that are made up of commodities. It may be a valuable commodity, gold and diamonds, but they are commodities. And so you know, how do you get over scrap value <laughs> is a nice way of putting it. And then that is sales. And so you asked me for the tips of sales. And I think really it is about empathy to understand where they're coming from. What are they trying to get out of your product? Is it status? Is it 
satisfaction? Is it prestige? Is it peace of mind? You got to understand what they want. And the second important skill of sales is grit. That one of the most important lessons of a young person's experience with sales sales is rejection because life is full of rejection and the more you get used to it the better you will be because I mean I can't tell you how many times I've been rejected and it's a life skill to deal with rejection and keep coming back that is very well put we do something it's called new hire training for all the people that come on board and spend about an hour with them. And one of the questions was, I'm quoted on saying, you try your best to not think about your last shot, especially if it was a bad one. You have to think <laughs> about it, but very quickly move on. Because if you keep thinking about how you screwed that up, you're going to be living in that shot and not the next one you have to do. And I think there's a specific skill that golfers pick up, right? Because they have to come recover from a really bad hole and go to the next hole almost immediately. I think that's very well put. I, I still got to figure out your selling skills on getting kids to pick up their clothes <laughs> off the ground. I didn't, listen, I'll give you some tips. So I, I have this podcast called Remarkable People, and I interviewed a professor at Stanford named BJ Fogg. And he said it, it's all about helping create tiny habits, not the big habits. You and I would love if we could create this big habit that every day our kids look at their room and have this big habit of making it immaculate. And he said, good luck with that. So you want to create little tiny habits that over time will add up to this clean room. And you want to grease these habits with behavior that is already fun or inherent or whatever. So one of the ideas I came up with is I bought this little indoor basketball backboard and rim and I hung it on the shower wall and underneath that is the clothes basket. So my thinking is my son is going to enjoy the game of shooting for baskets with his clothes and they're going to fall into the basket and we've accomplished both things, okay? I wish I could tell you that worked, but... <laughs> It didn't, but you have to be thinking like that. How's that? That is my hope and dream and desire. It's okay, let me know when you wake up, okay? <laughs> I know. First book was The Macintosh Way. It was published in 1989. And we talk a lot about developer evangelism. We talk about evangelism. Everything that you wrote about if I think about all the people that were growing up during that time, right, 16, 17, 18, it has impacted our lives 20, 22. It has impacted our lives in massive ways. We look at the quotes. It is just everything that we do on a regular basis. Do you think it is still relevant today? If you think about your gig right now at Canva, what, do you think it's still relevant or has it changed significantly? It has been 30 years. I am living proof that if you do one thing, you can coast for 30 years. No one has perfected that skill better than my, myself. Anyway, so listen, evangelism comes from a Greek word meaning bringing the good news. So what an evangelist does is bring the good news. I brought the good news of Macintosh. It would make people more creative and productive. Introducing Macintosh. It does all the things you'd expect a personal computer to do. It does a lot of things you wouldn't expect a personal computer to do. And it does some things no other computer has ever done before. Of course, to do all this, you will have to learn to do this. Macintosh. 
computer for the rest of us. For Macintosh developers, I brought the good news that Macintosh enables you to make the kind of software you always wanted to make for a market that you could never reach. So that's good news. Now with Canva, where I'm chief evangelist, I'm bringing the good news that you can be a better communicator because now you can create your own graphic designs. That's a very empowering thing. And so I think the fundamental skill of bringing the good news is as relevant today as it was 30 years ago. Evangelism is this concept of bringing the good news, selling other people on your dream, Evangelical is very different. So don't confuse evangelism with evangelical, especially in the United States, where it's a completely different thing. That is a very fair point. This gets manifested guy in many ways, which is, can you separate your role from the person you are? Because if there's a way you can do that, then you actually create some distance. And then what lands up happening is it doesn't become one person. Your role doesn't define you and you're not defined by your role. And I think that separation at least helps me keeping your personal views, evangelical views that we might have, good or bad, different <laughs> from the evangelism that we do, i.e. selling our dreams. Keeping it separate is the only way to actually keeping them separate. Yeah. <laughs> and I also want to address, people may ask, what's the difference between evangelism and sales? And I would say that evangelism is the purest form of sales. Now, sales has, at some level, your own self-interest bonuses, commissions, making quota, fulfilling your budget, whatever. That's sales. Evangelism has an added, let's say, responsibility that it's not only good for you, but it's good for the other person. And that's what's different between evangelism and sales, because evangelists have the other person's best interests at heart also. So when I tell you to use Canva, don't get me wrong, it is good for me, but Truly, I do believe it is good for you. I'm not trying to get you to do something that is neutral to negative for your own self-interest, but good for mine. It is good for both of us. I love that. It is the purest form of sales. What do you think for inspiring entrepreneurs or people who are in large companies trying to be entrepreneurs, right? What do you think is the single hardest thing that they should spend a lot of time on? By far, I think the purpose of an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur, someone in a larger company, is to create customers. How do you create a customer? Duh, you have to finish your product, you have to finish your service. So I think basically the bulk of your effort should be getting a product to market. Many tech entrepreneurs, especially in the startup phase, I think they lose track of that. They think that at some level, the purpose of a company is to raise money. So they're all about writing business plans and making pitches and shucking and jiving with venture capitalists. And then, yeah, knock on wood, they finally raise money and they think, okay, so now the hard part's over. <laughs> I hate to tell you, but the hard part is just beginning. So the good news is you raise money. The bad news is now you got to build a business. So you need to understand that you need to build a business by creating customers and getting money hiring people, all this kind of stuff, building a brand, those are means to an end. They are not the end in itself. What I get up in the morning thinking about is building products that developers love that change the trajectory of the enterprises they work for. And a lot of people yeah. say, what are you doing today? And what do you be doing three years from now? And my answer is, 
the same thing three years from now, building products that developers love that change the trajectory of the companies they work for. Because if we do that every day of the week and do that as what our goal is, I think everything else will work out. I would make the case that if you actually do that, you build products that developers love, everything else will fall into place. So if you do that, developers will love it. They'll buy it. You can raise money. You can recruit, give free food in the cafeteria. All of that works out. That's the core. Very much so. You have an awesome podcast called Remarkable People, and your mission is to make yes. people remarkable. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So basically, I'm 67 years old, and I think I finally found my true calling. I think that, in a sense, my whole career has prepared me for this moment. And I've had decades of experience in startups and large companies. So that gives me the data to be able to ask great questions of people, questions that my listeners really want the answers to. And, and I would say that is different from journalism because a journalist, and don't get me wrong, there are brilliant journalists, but at least in the topics that I cover in my podcast, if you've never fired a person, if you've never had to pitch, if you've never had to fail, if you never had to close a company down, if you never had the exhilaration of launching a great product, it's difficult for a journalist who's been watching people do that ask the same question as someone who's been in the firing line or on the firing line. So I think my career has prepared me for that. That's one. Secondly, one of the gating items of any podcast is getting guests. And getting guests for me has been relatively simple and easy because many people know of me as opposed to know me. For example, Jane Goodall did not know me. We weren't best friends, but she and her people knew of me, opened the gates. And so because of my work, particularly in Macintosh, because many remarkable people are Macintosh users, they've heard of me, which greased the skids for me to get an interview. So all of that is to tell you why I know what to ask and who to ask and how to get to them. That's a big deal right there. And then basically, I am on a mission to make people remarkable. And I have figured out that I don't have the monopoly on knowledge about how people can be remarkable. And there are other people who have much more knowledge. And so my whole podcast is interviewing people who are remarkable about how they got to be remarkable. And this includes Jane Goodall, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Steve Wozniak, Christy Yamaguchi, David Ocker, Bob Cialdini, Katie Milkman, Angela Duckworth, Ronnie Lott, Brandy Chastain. It just, I just go down the list. What a list. What a list. That is awesome. So before we jump into a rapid fire round, I have to ask, what's the one piece of advice you would give a younger version of yourself? Don't quit Apple. <laughs> Listen, I, qu I quit Apple twice. I quit Apple. <laughs> I quit Apple in 87 and 97. And then about, I think, 99 or so, Steve offered me another job and I turned him down. So I left or quit Apple three times. And let's just say that probably cost me a few hundred million. <laughs> On the other hand, if I had stayed Apple to this day, I would not have the breadth of experience that I've had. Because starting companies that you know were singles, starting companies that failed, become a venture capitalist, 
writer, speaker, all those things. Let's say I had done none of that. I would have just been from Apple. I would have just been at Apple from 1983 until today. I would be richer, but I am pretty sure I would be an insufferable asshole. Not that I may not be an insufferable asshole already, but I would be even more of an insufferable asshole. So maybe that's just rationalization for making bad decisions three times, or maybe it was just meant to be. You were just walking your path. And so I think, I think the right things generally show up in the right way. Rapid fire questions. I'm going to ask you a few questions. I want you to say the first thing no that problem. comes in your mind. Let's go. What three people would you bring to a dinner party, dead or alive? What three people? I would bring Peter Drucker. I would bring Desmond Tutu. And I would bring Stacey Abrams. Wow. Wow. I think Stacey Abrams may have single-handedly saved America a few years ago. So... No, no I, I don't disagree. One book that has changed your life. If You Want to Write by Brenda Euland. Your dream podcast guest, dead or alive. Stacey Abrams. Wow. Have you asked her? I have asked her. And I, every time I go on anybody's podcast, I say, if anybody knows her, please ask her for me. Because one of these days, one of these days, I'm going to be on a podcast or a speech or something. And it's going to be Stacey Abrams brother, sister, mother, father, daughter, best friend, whatever. And that person's going to say, hey, Stacy, guy wants you on this podcast. You should do it. And she's going to say yes. And it's just the law of big numbers. The more people I tell that, the more likely it's going to happen. Get it out to the universe and it'll help you. What's your top tip to decompress? I surf. I surf every day. I take a break from surfing to work. I surf every day. That's awesome. Guy, any passing last-minute thoughts uh, before we close out? I think one rule of thumb that I, I hope people would incorporate is always ask yourself, are you asking people to do something that you would not do? Are you asking your customers to do something that you would not do? Are you asking your vendors? Are you asking your employees? Are you asking your kids? If you won't keep your room clean, how the hell can you ask your kids to keep your room clean? Now, this assumes you're not a psychopath, because if you're a psychopath, this rule does not work. But assuming you're not a psychopath, if you can go through life saying, I don't ask people to do anything I wouldn't do. That's a great way to look at it. Guy, this has been awesome for the audience. I had my fanboy moment before we got started, <laughs> and I told Guy about how much he has affected my professional life and actually my personal life through his books, and it's a phenomenal pleasure to have him. My favorite quote, if I can end by that, is one of Guy's many good quotes. <laughs> I think about my life being a balance between patience and impatience, and I have to make a decision on a regular basis what to be patient and what to be impatient about. But I think his quote... <laughs> I know what's coming. I know what's coming. Patience is the art of concealing your impatience. I think that is phenomenal. <laughs> right? That is a phenomenal way to say it. And so, Guy, this has been, this has been awesome. I have 16,000 more questions I can ask you. And so at some point, I'd like to find a way to do this again. We really appreciate your time. It's been a privilege and an honor. You take care. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Execution Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe. We have many more phenomenal guests and inspiring stories to come. So be sure to join us next time.